Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my bed crimers, hi, how are you? I hope you're doing well. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. Let me just ask that after listening to and or watching the video, if you found you enjoyed it, please do me a favor, smash that like button. And if you want to support the work I do, please consider a Patreon membership. You'll find a link in the description. Now, let's dig in. Newly released documents in the case of the Idaho Four and Brian Koberger show that the authorities requested additional customer information from Amazon as well as Apple, PayPal, YouTube, and Spotify for someone related to the case. The name was redacted, but I think it's safe to say it was Brian Koberger. You may recall the authorities issued search warrants for certain companies before the previous search warrant indicated that investigators were digging into Brian Koberger's digital activity with warrants served to Google, TikTok, and AT&T, among others. These new search warrants asked for a broader array of information. The new search warrant for Amazon was hand-delivered on May 10th of 2023. Investigators said there was reason to believe that activity on the Amazon site from March 20th through 30th of 2022 and November 1st to December 6th of 2022 may hold clues to the crime. It's curious that investigators asked for information specifically for those 10 days in March of 2022. We can understand why they asked for such information from November 1st through December 6th, at least in terms of when the crime occurred, which was on November 13th of 2022. The authorities asked specifically for, one, all detailed customer click activity pertaining to sharp-edged objects and accessories. I don't want to say the K-word because YouTube doesn't like that word. They were likely looking for that K-bar and its sheath. Two, all details of payment methods used for orders made on the account. Three, all details of items in carts to include all items added to the cart, all items removed or deleted from the cart, and all items saved in the cart, wish-listed or in shopping baskets. Four, all suggestions made to account to include any and all data maintained by Amazon, all records pertaining to reviews pertaining to any and all data of items reviewed by the user, reviews by other Amazon users that were viewed by the user and comments the user made. Six, all advertising data to include all advertising related to the account, including but not limited to advertising cookies. Cookies sound delicious right now. Note to self, don't record when hungry. Seven, any info identifying the device or devices used to access the account, including a device serial number, and then they list a whole bunch of other device serial number types here, such as GUID or Global Unique Identifier, Android ID, a phone number, serial number, Mac addresses, and more. I'm not going to read them all for you. You can see them on the screen. 
and eight, all accounts linked to the target account, including where linked by a machine cookie or other cookie, creation or login IP address, recovery email, or otherwise. And guys, they mean the account of the person whose name has been redacted, not an account at the store known as Target. Just to be clear, Amazon needed an extension to get all the information gathered, apparently. They ended up with a deadline of July 28th of 2023, and it looks like they met that deadline. YouTube was also served a search warrant looking for subscriber information and device identifiers for all devices that logged into accounts, including IMEI addresses, cookies, and locations. The warrant also requested channel analytics and any comments made or mentions of the account made by other users. The warrant served to Apple on August 1st similarly asked for the record of all devices devices associated with the user ID, including electronic serial numbers and SIM information, as well as contents of all emails, instant messages, and files stored in the iCloud. Records were also obtained for locations where the account or devices associated with the accessed account, including all the data stored in connection with AirTags, location services, Find My, and Apple Maps. A warrant served to Spotify asked for logs of user actions, including search queries, playlists, interactions with other users, and streaming history, as well as user device sensor data, to include motion-generated or orientation-generated device sensor data, which the user device collects about the way the user moves or holds their device. Each warrant asks for any financial info linked to the accounts and a search warrant served to Venmo on July 25th asks for all bank accounts, credit and debit cards, and transactions linked to the account, as well as the names of the transaction's recipients. Sounds like investigators are turning over every stone to try and link Brian Koberger to the crime and either some or all of the victims. Now, in an interview on CNN, Kaylee Gonsalves' father, Steve, said he feels that justice is being delayed during the, quote, nerve-wracking wait for a trial date. Steve said, quote, we're patient, but it does make it a little bit more stressful. You've got your time in court. Make it happen. The sooner we get this going, the sooner we get to the truth, end quote. The Gonsalves family attorney, Shannon Gray, also spoke on CNN, and he said he expects a trial date to be set once motions are heard next month. Gray said, quote, if you have a date that you can at least look forward to, it's helpful for all the families involved. Involved, knowing that you're moving toward that day, you're moving toward that end goal for a possible resolution in the case, end quote. On another note, I stumbled on some other info that I found very interesting on the Law and Crime website. It was a lengthy article about Brian Koberger, and it included snippets from an interview given 
just seven months before the crime in Moscow, Idaho, by Koberger's former professor, Catherine Ramslin. She was explaining the workings of a psychopath's mind. Ramslin said this, the brains of what we call primary psychopaths, who seem to be born with this brain disconnect, are definitely different. It allows them to be better predators, if that's what they choose to be. Not all psychopaths are criminals. Not all psychopaths are murderers. If they choose that, it allows them to be very effective, better, because they really don't have any remorse over what they're doing, and they really can be very calculated. They tend to be very reward-driven, end quote. Also cited in this long article was forensic psychologist Dr. John Delatore, and he said that Koberger can't yet be labeled a psychopath or even a serialist. Delatore stated, quote, what actually happened was that he was a mass killer. Whoever did this should actually be considered a mass killer. That doesn't take away from the possibility that they are also a serialist. End quote. One of Koberger's few buddies from DeSales University where he studied is a guy named Josh Ferraro, who was his biology lab partner. Ferraro was quoted in this same article as saying that he believes Koberger, quote, snapped. He said, I think he's just sick. I think that people online want to make this into a fairy tale and make it grandiose and much more than it is. If he had done this, I think he's a sick individual that finally snapped, end quote. So those are the words of someone who interacted with Koberger back around 2017 and 2018. But Delatore disagrees with this notion that Koberger just snapped. Delatore said, no one just snaps. There can be a straw that breaks the camel's back if we want to continue to use idioms. That certainly can happen. But that person has been dealing with distressing emotions for a very long time, has been unsuccessful in coping with them in a healthy way. Because rejection is such a touchy subject for him, it's certainly possible that a buildup over time, a buildup of rejection, could have led to engaging in this kind of behavior. In his mind, it's finally time to set right the world that has gone wrong inside of him, end quote. Both Delatory and Ramsland said that it may be hard to pin down a motive for the crime to answer the question, why did Brian Koberger allegedly do this to these people on that particular date? But Ramsland did describe the personalities of psychopaths, which may shed light on a motive. Again, we don't know if Koberger has ever been evaluated by a professional and deemed a psychopath, so keep that in mind. But Ramsland said this, Psychopaths have a variety of motives, but their personalities tend to have that rigidity and that inability to go with life's hard knocks and to believe that they're entitled to more and that they need to punish people for them not getting what they think they deserve, end quote. 
Before Koberger was on anyone's radar, clinical psychologist Dr. Gary Brucato shared some characteristics of the type of person that he believed would be behind the crime in Moscow. One of the things I remember him saying was that this person would be living a very regimented lifestyle. And that is one characteristic that I think it's safe to say Brian Koberger had. I believe this rigidity in Koberger was developed in high school when he was overweight and when he was in that law enforcement program. He shed more than 100 pounds between junior and senior year in high school, and it sounds like he did it the old-fashioned way, meaning through intense exercise, he was running daily, he was boxing, sounds like he was limiting his caloric intake. He switched to a vegan diet. A hundred pounds is like a momentous achievement. It's like shedding an entire person. This also marked the point where Koberger allegedly changed from being bullied to being the bully. Could those 100 pounds symbolically be Koberger getting rid of the person in him who was bullied? So clearly, Koberger learned to have discipline and to stick to a daily regime day after day after day. Of course, he also allegedly struggled with a heroin addiction at this time, so that may have also played a role in this weight loss journey. Ramsland's description really makes sense. The idea of having rigidity and an inability to go with life's hard knocks, to believe that you're entitled to more and that you need to punish the people who are denying you what you think you are entitled to and that you deserve. All of that could very well explain why this crime was concocted and carried out. This reminds me of another case I've been following, Gareth Pursehouse, who is currently awaiting a verdict in his trial. That verdict may very well come today. Pursehouse was tried for allegedly doing in his ex-girlfriend a well-known marriage and sex therapist in Los Angeles named Amy Harwick. Amy was attacked in her home, and she ended up on the concrete below her third-floor balcony with multiple injuries that ultimately led to her death. Pursehouse is accused of throwing her over that balcony. He claimed she climbed over it herself and then accidentally fell down to the hard and unforgiving concrete. Gareth and Amy dated years earlier for about 18 months. Amy ultimately broke up with Gareth, and she obtained a restraining order against him in 2012. She claimed he was abusive, so this purse house held a torch for her all that time, since 2012. And when he by chance ran into her at an award ceremony in LA in January of 2020, he went up to her and he said he'd never gotten over her. And he said that he lost his job because of her. He even got down on the floor in the fetal position and began sobbing in front of all these strangers. He then recited emails that he had exchanged with Amy years earlier, word for word. Talk about being unable to deal with life's hard knocks. And then, after this chance run-in, Pursehouse finds Amy's phone number and address. He once again inundates her with text messages and calls, and when she refuses to get together with him to talk more about their breakup that had occurred eight years earlier, which he's still angry about, Pursehouse allegedly goes over 
over to her three-story home in the Hollywood Hills on Valentine's Day in 2020. He lies in wait for her, allegedly, and then attacks her to punish her for not doing what he wants, for not giving him what he wants, which is a relationship with her. Pursehouse claims he went there to simply talk, but he came armed with latex gloves on his hands, a syringe filled with a lethal dose of nicotine, and a rope on his belt. He broke the glass of her French doors to get into the house. That doesn't sound like a guy going over to have a conversation. I mean, he could have waited for her in his car instead of breaking in and then sitting in the dark in her upstairs TV room waiting for her. I think Pursehouse and Koberger may have some things in common. Where Gareth Pursehouse had Amy Harwick as his object of fascination and obsession, perhaps Koberger instead of having an individual in mind, had a group of individuals in mind and a particular type in mind, namely an attractive, popular, blonde female who perhaps ignored him and did not want to go out with him. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories.